Yeah, I think the biggest thing is comfort and that's another thing that is a difference between van life and dirt bag is van lifers are way more comfortable like if you want to do this cheap it's going to be uncomfortable i have no bathroom facilities in here i have no heater for when it's cold at night my first year in the van i went in up to arapaho basin in colorado and worked as a ski lift operator and it was i think for like Two of the three months I was there, um, it was never above zero degrees at night Fahrenheit. So it was damn cold, and I'm just in a sleeping bag in my bed. But everything freezes, you know what I mean? Like, my piss jug will freeze solid in the right, morning. And right. it's just weird things that you don't think about. You have to keep a water bottle in your sleeping bag, otherwise you have no drinking water. I think you just lose so much comfort when you do dirtbag lifestyle, but you get another sense of freedom. If you are thinking about living in a van or wanting to try out the dirt bag slash van life lifestyle, this is going to be the podcast for you. Bailey is on today and has been living in his van since 2020, so he's going to be giving you some great strategies of you know, where to park in the different seasons, how to take showers, hygiene in the van, etc., etc., and then just the difference between van life and a dirtbag lifestyle and the freedoms that that type of lifestyle really brings. If you're watching on YouTube, it took this episode to finally figure out how to highlight the speaker when they are talking in the settings of Zoom, so no more will it be just one person talking because I'm an idiot. So... There you go. With that being said, let's get into the episode. Um, so we have Bailey back on. This is the most interesting guy in the world because he uh, he also lives in a van. So I think to kick this off, we got into this conversation a little bit at our last podcast. But Bailey, can you explain the difference between hashtag van life and dirtbag van life? Absolutely. <laughs> Um, I'll preface it with, I'm a dirt bag, not a van lifer, at least hashtag van lifer. So, you know, maybe a bit biased and Mm -hmm. a bit skewed of a perspective, but yeah, van lifers are just posers. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) No, the real, some of them are, man. Some of them are, you know, if I had to put it down to one factor, I would say truthfully, probably money. Um, I think a dirtbag is someone who doesn't have the most money, but is just willing to make it work. I think a great example of a dirtbag is someone I met in a library parking lot like two years ago named Scott. He's living out of a white Toyota Corolla full time, and he had all this climbing gear. He had a damn portal edge in that thing. Like it was stuffed to the brim. He was living out of it. It's really whatever you can do to make it work. Versus hashtag van life is, you know, these $120,000 sprinter builds that, you know, just ramp up to uh, go to pretty campsites where they can open the back doors and get cute photos for their Instagram stories and all that stuff, which is cool. And I think for a lot of people, it makes a lot of sense. Like if I had to work nine to five on a computer all day and only had time to like go see the sunset or go do like a short hike during my lunch break or something that would make a lot of sense to like live in a mobile vehicle that you live out of work out of whatever but yeah my van is nothing glamorous it is a gear shed with a bed and that is all it is 
It's, Absolutely. Her name is Penelope, for anyone wondering. And she actually just recently hit $360,000 or 360,000 miles. Oh, I was like, whoa. Oh, yeah. No, uh, financially, this, this van was really cheap, actually. I bought it, built it, and put money aside for insurance in like a $5,000 chunk. Okay. Got so, it. So you, so you bought it and then built it out. So what did it yeah. look like originally? So it has, it's an E250, uh, 2008 E250, and it has like a slightly raised roof because it was an old medical mobility van. So there's a wheelchair lift in the back. Mm-hmm. And so it came with all that stuff. I stripped it out completely, got rid of the wheelchair lift. I was actually able to sell that on Craigslist for like 500 bucks. This dude was going to use it for uh, a motorcycle lift in his garage. So worked out. And uh, yeah, the build took, man, just about two weeks. I just wanted to like throw something together and hit the road. Um, Kind of the whole thing about this van, it was just uh, more than anything a test piece to see if I liked the lifestyle. Pre-COVID, I was living in Seattle um, for a number of years, working in the restaurant industry, going to school. And I was kind of sick of the city life and, you know, just the grind. And uh, I saved up, you know, a decent chunk of money. And the plan was to go travel Southeast Asia, Eastern Europe block, and, you know, just kind of travel around until I ran out of money. And then COVID hit. And it became apparent really soon that international travel with high levels of freedom was not going to happen anytime soon. And so I started researching vans and bought this out, built it out in two weeks, recruited two buddies of mine, and we went on a road trip to inaugurate it. And we went out to the Tetons, climbed the Grand, and uh, did some different stops along the way. Made it back to Washington, kind of decided what I wanted to change on it. Went back to my parents' house, spent a week uh, rebuilding, redesigning a few things, and then hit the road. Wow. Wow. So tell me about the process leading up to you jumping off out of the city and into the van. Was this a like one big decision, or was this a culmination of things that were kind of brewing? You know, it's a little bit of both. I think it was a culmination of things that was brewing that needed to lead to a big decision. And I wasn't sure what that decision was going to be. And one day I just woke up and I was like, I'm going to live in a van. And everyone was like, what the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) But it really was like almost like an epiphany where I just woke up one day and just with pure clairvoyance saw this path where it's like, I'm going to buy a van. I'm going to build it out and I'm going to go be a dirtbag somewhere. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now you are involved in a ton of activities, mountain biking, canyoneering, trail running, all, all the above, right? My question is where do you store all of your gear? Underneath this bed. So I'd say the number one activity I do is climbing And that requires a lot of gear, especially for the style of climbing I do. Um, I do hard desert routes, both free climbing and aid climbing. And so when you're aid climbing, like the amount of gear you have on you is absurd. Like you can barely move. Now, for anyone who doesn't know what aid climbing is, it's typically routes that are too hard to climb using your hands and feet. And so there's clean aid versus hammered aid. And 
basically the deal is you're either putting like nuts and cams into cracks or hammering in pitons, peckers, different pieces of metal and iron uh, into these like little pin scar micro seams. And then you attach nylon ladders to it and you kind of bounce test the piece, see if it'll hold. You stand up, they're typically five or six step ladders. And so you stand up to the top step and then you get another piece in and you keep doing that versus free climbing, you know, you're climbing, maybe you're hand jamming or something. And then you get to a point where you want to place some gear, you throw a cam into a crack and then you keep going. But you can typically go like a couple body lengths in between pieces versus aid climbing. You are like stacking pieces right on top of each other. So you, you have see, to place a see. lot more. You see, folks, most interesting man in the world right here on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, but... I love it. Actually, I did see a there's a really good documentary. I'm sure you saw it about the dirt bags, the, the OG dirt bags in Yosemite in the Valley Valley Uprising. So... Oh, yeah. Excellent. Excellent movie. There's actually a, a fun little tidbit in there on Dale Bard, Air Dale. He was one of the guys who went up to, uh, I believe it was up in Tuolumne Meadows where the plane crashed with a bunch of weed in it. Exactly. Yep. He was one of the climbers that went up and recovered a bunch of weed. He was like 17 at the time, young gun, just out there climbing mm -hmm. and recovered a shit ton of weed, made a bunch of money and was essentially just able to live in the valley because of that. Yep. He lives here in Moab, which is my home base. And, uh, you know, I will, will like run into him at the grocery store and stuff, but dude's just a legend and he's just out here walking around. So is he, is he still dirt bagging it? Yeah. He, I've got a really funny photo I could share to you of, this is back when I was working at a gear shop in town last season and he comes in in a sweatshirt that is just covered in blood. I'm like, Dale, what happened? You're like, oh, I was out adventure hiking, took a little fall, impaled myself on a, you know, on a stick. No big deal. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Just walked to the shop from the hospital, say what's up. But when he says adventure hiking, it's not what 99.9% .9 of people think of as. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, I'm going to go scramble around these cliff bands and maybe on-site free solo some 510 because it looks easy and I'm in my tennis shoes and you know, we're just out hiking, having a good time. Wow, dude, that's, that is absolutely another level. Yeah. But that's, I mean, when that's when you're that's your lifestyle for however many years. I mean, that's normal at that point. So, so, okay. So climbing, there's a ton of gear, right? Yeah, you're telling me that you store all of your gear under your, wherever you pointed to on the video. Yeah, so it is possible, but it's a little bit tight. And so actually about a month ago, I decided to get a storage unit here in yeah. Moab. And that was kind of a big step for me because I was like, I don't know where home base is going to be, but I decided this is going to be the new home base. And so my general rotation that I do, and this is something we'll get into more of, is three months in Moab in the fall three months in Moab in the spring. And those are the only two places I can guarantee you I'll be at any time in the year. The rest of it's highly fluid. I don't know where I'm going to be. And it's much more kind of free going. Um, but while I'm here, it's like, why not utilize this and use it more as a home base? So I got a storage unit and uh, like I've got my skis in there right now and some like alpine ropes that I don't want to trash here in the desert that I'll hold off to use in the summer and whatnot. And some different stuff 
Uh, it's more for when I leave here and I'm not here. Like, I don't want to be lugging two bikes around and all that. So I'm just going to throw a lot of stuff in storage for three months, come back, utilize it, throw it back in and then leave again. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say, I would, I'm looking at my gear right now, like in my closet and I'm like, dude, I'd have to get a storage unit. I don't know any other way yeah. to, to do it. And I mean, when you're, in, when you're involved in uh, so many, you know, if it was just backpacking for me, which sure. it was just at one time, that would be fine. But now you got ski touring, climbing and mountain biking. And when you start adding on these sports, you really do, yeah. I would imagine, have to think about storage before you buy sometimes even maybe. Yeah. And that's actually like to circle back just a little bit is I know this woman really nice van lifer, you know, there's no real beef between dirt bags and van lifers. As we were talking about earlier, they are quite different. Um, but really rad woman. She's got a beautiful van build, totally custom done, like heated floors, you know, full, fully done up. But you look at all these systems that she has, she's got a full shower, full bathroom, heated floors like the electrical systems and everything that it takes to run and operate that you look at her storage unit and it's like maybe a fifth of the size of mine interesting even though it is like a bigger van like her gear shed is comical to me because i couldn't fit one of my costco bins of gears in you know the big black bins with the yellow lids right i have three bins of those that takes up most of my gear and I couldn't fit a single one into her storage unit. Interesting. Interesting. Huh? Yeah, dude, there's a lot of things about a van. I think, um, you know, people before they would embark on this lifestyle, I think you got to kind of figure out, right. Or yeah. you're probably not aware of when you first, uh, when you're in that excitement phase, when you wake up and you have that epiphany, you're like, dude, you know what? I'm, I'm going to live in a van. You don't maybe think about some of these storage things and et cetera, et cetera. One question I had, which was also came from uh, one of my, one of my awesome followers, NorCal Wander Nerd. She's always, uh, we're always DMing. She's good stuff. But she was talking about uh, home address for things. Basically, how do you do your mail? Is, is essentially the question. Yeah, so I think most people would expect it to be a way bigger challenge than it is. Mm -hmm. um, as far as like, you know, here in 2022, you just don't receive that much physical mail that you can't get digitally. And so like any legal stuff, I use my parents' address back in Washington. Um, and they moved like a year ago. I still use their old address. Government hasn't came after me yet, so I'm just going to let it ride for a little bit. Um, you know, I'm not too concerned about that type of stuff. Uh, all my right. W-2s from work and stuff I get digitally, and I just plug into the computer, so it's all good there. Interesting. Now, as far as like receiving packages and stuff like that, um, you know, it's super easy here in Moab because I just ship it to the house that I kind of stay out in front of. And we can talk a bit more about that as well. But mm -hmm. um, kind of a good hack is any P.O. box you can ship a box to with your name on it and just go there and pick it up. You don't have to have a P.O. box or anything. So if you're passing through town, um, that's a really good way to get gear or anything you might need. Like I'm sure 
anyone who runs the PCT and needs a food drop or a new pair of shoes or something, they're not going to go to that city and set up a PO box that they're going to pass through for 12 hours. They're going to mm-hmm. have someone ship it there with their name and it's just going to sit in the back room until they go and pick it up. And they'll yeah. probably hold it for like three or four days before they return to sender. But as long as you get there in that window, you're totally fine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it is. It is nice. Cause I mean, honestly, yeah, I think besides packages really like, it's like, what do you even get in the mail anymore? <laughs> like, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And- I mean, the yeah. one issue I've had recently is my debit card got frauded, and so I had to get that replaced. But I use BECU, which is only available in Washington State. And so being in middle of or southeast Utah, like, you know, super fucking far away, there's mm-hmm. nothing I could do from here. Like, I've called them. They were going to ship it to that address and uh, something about, like, I wanted to change of address to my parents' new address, and there was this whole verification process. So I was like, I've got some money sitting in that account, but I guess I don't really need a debit card for right now. I I have a, yeah. a tips job, so I'm going to kind of hold off until I'm back in Washington to deal with that. But for right most on. people, like the idea of going without a debit card or a credit card for the next six months is like unattainable. But I work a tips job. I just made you know good enough money this week to last right. me a couple months and whatnot so right um, it's not that big of a deal in my mind but if it gets to the point where i need something urgently i was thinking about doing like a, a venmo debit card because i could just set that up and they'll mail it to me anywhere interesting yeah the digital age kind of breaks down some of those obstacles but on that point what are some things that what are some other things that people might not think about or realize before they start this lifestyle up as in obstacles obstacle wise yeah i think the biggest thing is comfort and that's another thing that is a difference between van life and dirt bag is van lifers are way more comfortable like if you want to do this cheap it's going to be uncomfortable i have no bathroom facilities in here i have no heater for when it's cold at night um, my first year in the van, I went in, up to Arapahoe Basin in Colorado and worked as a ski lift operator. And it was, I think for like two of the three months I was there, um, it was never above zero degrees at night Fahrenheit. So it was damn cold. And I'm just in a sleeping bag in my bed. But mm-hmm. everything freezes. You know what I mean? Like my piss jug will freeze solid in the right. morning. And it's just weird things that you don't think about. You have to keep a water bottle in your sleeping bag. Otherwise, you have no drinking water. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. uh, I think you just lose so much comfort when you do dirtbag lifestyle, but you get another sense of freedom. Like maybe you haven't showered in four days, but you're able to just go do shit all the time. And it's that Mm -hmm. level of freedom that I'm looking for. Interesting. So you – so in in – your mindset it is you're you're exchanging the comfort for the freedom yeah and also comfort i'm exchanging comfort because i don't have the money to pay for it right right but you're but you but you have the freedom because most people would have that can get the comfort by getting some sort of real you know nine to five job where they're lugging in every day yeah. and every night and then they get into that comfort seeking mentality 
There's actually a really good book called uh, The Comfort Crisis. I forget who it's by, and I haven't read it yet, but I, it's one of them that I want to read. Yeah, that and sounds interesting. But I think being comfortable is dangerous. 100%. I think there was a uh, a quote in Tim Ferriss's book, but it was something to the point where the worst drug you can take is a nine to five, like a nine to five job with a steady paycheck because it's hard to break that routine. It's hard to get out of that comfort level that you're, that you have. Cause it's not yeah. like so bad that you really, really want to quit, but it's not so good that you're like totally satisfied. You're in that in between. And I think that's where a lot of people are. That's where I'm at. With well, I think stuff. it's challenging too, because all of society directly promotes that lifestyle here in the u.s like from a young age you're taught to you know do well in school so you can go to a good secondary school so you can get a good job title so you can make good money so you can get the white picket fence 2.5 kids and the Mm -hmm. dog name spot you know and the lifestyle i live is not cookie cutter it is directly against the mold and most of society doesn't understand it and isn't like supportive of it um, and so if you want to do this, there's other challenges just besides being comfortable in your van. It's like being comfortable with the lifestyle, being comfortable when you go home for the holidays and talk to your sure. family, like you're, you're not going to feel understood at all. But sure. one of the nice things is the people you meet on the road, you, it tends to be a magnetic lifestyle. Whereas you meet people of similar mindset. You meet who you need to meet on the road, and it just makes the journey that much better. Yeah, absolutely. I can see that. Well, and they know what you're going through. It's it's the same thing with like through hiking and all that type of stuff yeah, too, you're right? Struggling it's like, together, and there's uh, automatic camaraderie within that. Yeah. Now, how long? So you've been doing this since about COVID 2020. Yeah, like June of 2020. June of 2020. So almost two years in. So what is your what is your like three to five year plan? Well, like I was saying earlier, um, Penelope was just a test piece to see if I like the lifestyle and kind of just, you know, what I thought of it, how I would enjoy it. But because of that, I didn't go and ball out on a super nice van. I actually went pretty far under budget. Um, just so that, yeah, I didn't really want to like resell this thing. I wanted to get a scrapper, you know, a beater, build it up a bit and just go trash it. You know what I mean? Just as a, a test piece. And so, like I said earlier, the van just hit 360,000 miles. And so that is incredible, actually. <laughs> Pretty much. I think I was, yeah, I think I was actually kind of distracted when you said $360,000. Yeah. So actually, now that you said 360,000 miles, I'm like, holy shit. Yeah. So pretty much since like three months in, whenever anyone asks me how long are you going to do this for, my answer has been the same, which is until Penelope dies. You know, like this thing is on a timer for sure. I keep up with maintenance, all the fluids, and I kind of fix things as they need to be done. But I also kind of have a conversation with the mechanic, which is like, (laughs) okay, what is going to keep the vehicle safe? And 
what is going to like, you know, what's enough to keep it going. Cause I don't want to start throwing thousands of dollars into this thing because I could, you know, keep it running. You all know, swap the engine again. I'll do a transmission swap and all this stuff. And, uh, no, I just wanted to have like live out its natural life from when I got her, um, not abuse it, you know, take care of it and whatnot. But whenever she dies, she dies. And then I'll go from there. Um, yeah. I recently kind of started getting a lady friend that I'm getting more serious with, but with van life, that is just yeah. horrible. Let me tell you, <laughs> it totally, it, it works. And I, I kind of joke to myself, like if I ever get rich and this chick still loves me, I'll know it's real. Cause she fell in love with me when I was poor and living in a van, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. but, yeah. um, I think in the fall time, so after this summer, I'm going to try to rent a house here in Moab that we'll live in mm -hmm. together. And uh, that'll kind of be the natural end of van life, at least for this portion of my life. Yeah. Well, what's what's interesting from what I've – well, just kind of what I know of you and how you've said that you kind of travel around here and there and you're in Moab and then you you travel these other places and stuff like that. It was almost like – you get the van and then you kind of toured around the country, saw what you saw. And then you're almost like Moab was like the place for you type yeah. of thing. Almost uh, like yeah. that was like the place that you felt the most home in the most activities you could do good people and things like that. Like you kind of just did a test run of the whole country. That's I mean, that's worth a lot right there. Oh yeah. Put, and there's a, a lot of other places I'd like to see myself living in um, as well. But, you know, it's all time and place. What lines up with what I need out of a, a location. And for now, I, Moab's the spot. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Man, now you're making me want to consider <laughs> coming out there to, to do that run and everything. I It is funny because I know what you're saying, like the things that you need, right? Mm-hmm. I moved out here in Oregon uh, about eight years ago from the Midwest and the Midwest was not what I needed anymore. No. And it's hard to think that the Midwest is what anyone needs. Anybody. <laughs> Bro, I can't dick, but no, <laughs> dude, I can't, I can't do more than two days out there. Uh, my girlfriend and I went back this October and, and she, she knows now like why I don't like going back. I mean, she actually liked it, but you know, she's awesome. But I was just like, dude, I'm so bored. Yeah. So bored. You can't just go to the mountains. Like you can't just go to the mountains on the weekend. Anyway, regardless, I have felt like I've outgrown Oregon and kind of the, the PNW for the most part. I still have some objectives to do like Rainier and some of the mountaineering and stuff like that. I'll go rope but after the Rainier in June if you want. That's when I'm thinking about going. Yeah, I'm yeah. taking my buddy Chris up it, and that's going to be my trial run because I might do an FKT attempt in June. Oh, let's go. Yeah. So I'm going to go do it, see what trail conditions are like, and see if I'm comfortable with soloing the mountain. Oh, cool. Well, yeah. let me know. Let me know when you go. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, permits with that are a little bit weird, right? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, when I did it last <laughs> June, a buddy of mine took care of all the permitting, which was sweet. Um, so I'm not too much help. I know there's like a, like a group fee and then an individual climber fee, which is mm -hmm. more like the group is just a group permit that you have to pay for. 
and then you, there's like an individual climber fee that's good for a calendar year or something like that. But it basically covers, um, it's almost like a liability thing as well as a little bit of coin in case you do have to get rescued or anything like that. I think it's almost like an insurance program where if everyone pays in 20 bucks and then that one person that month has to get rescued, it's all taken care of. So true. Yeah. It's so true. Because, you know, it's yeah. bound to happen. Yeah. Yeah. But one thing I will say about uh, the most popular route on the mountain, the Disappointment Cleaver, is uh, the whole route was super PG. Like, it was just a really big hike with high consequences if you fuck up. Interesting. Yeah, but if you don't fuck up, like, it's just super chill. High consequences in the fact of, like, a like a like a slide down or a crevasse fall those are the two things i think the number one risk that you cannot control is rock fall and avalanche um those are out of your control to a certain degree i think you should always be checking conditions and doing research to make sure that the mountain is setting up properly for a summit um but beyond that uh like a good example is like crevasse jumping since we did it such early season there's no ladders up so I was on a three-man team. I was on point, and then I had my buddy Gert uh, in the middle and my buddy Barrows in the back. And what we would do is if I was man one uh, and then there's two and three, uh, person two would be set up near the mouth of the crevasse with enough slack that I can freely jump across and not get short roped. Between person two and three, they're completely taut, so the rope is almost weighted, but so that like uh, if I were to fall and pull one guy, it wouldn't you know, pull and then yank the other guy. Um, but I had them kick in steps and self arrest and brace for impact kind of, and then I'd get across and tighten out the rope and get prepared. And two would get ready to jump and three would slide forward. So that, you know, when two jumped, they wouldn't Mm -hmm. get short roped and all that stuff. But it's, it's actually really interesting because we left uh, camp Muir, which is at about 10,000 feet. That's where we slept at the first night. Mm -hmm. And uh, you leave there at like midnight. I think we left a little after like Mm -hmm. 1230 and you're jumping these crevasses and whatnot. And you're trusting these kind of sketchy snow bridges, but it's in the pitch black of night. Like you're only by headlamp. And so you go summit the mountain. Uh, We summited by like 630 AM or something like that. And then I thought it was just hilarious on the way down. And it was actually quite scary, but when you're in the mountain, sometimes you just have to laugh about things. Um, But some of these crevasses that we were jumping over are like, fucked up like a couple hundred feet down like you have no idea the, the size of them when you're seeing them for the first time right. you look down them with your headlamp and the light will just disappear into the into the vastness of the crevasse we always do a would you rather thing you know sure. you ever heard it like those yeah. yeah usually usually what my go-to one is i'll do something but then i'll or live in a crevasse (laughs) (laughs) and i think i would almost do anything rather than live in a crevasse (laughs) dude it is eerie just looking down at them yeah 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 so (sighs) tiny houses get back on board with the with the van life yeah what you see yourself in a tiny house you know those used to kind of be like the hot thing i feel like before Van life came up. Now I feel like yeah. van life has kind of ch- uh, ch- taken the light out of that a little bit. Where are you at with tiny houses? Are they kind of like, like where are they legal in? Like I hear Arizona is not bad. I think 
I think like certain places in Utah, like out here, I think you could just buy land and go throw a tiny house on it. You know, like I don't think it's too complex. And I think the further you are, you are away from any major towns or anything, like no one's really going to fuck with you. Um, mm. I like the idea of them. I think I'd like to have a normal sized house, which would be like a home base. And then maybe like three or four tiny houses that are just like getaway spots like I thought it would be really cool to have something up near the North Cascades in Washington, just like a little A-frame, something I could yeah, build I myself, know. you know? And then I thought it'd be really cool to like convert a school bus, like a schoolie uh, or something of that sort. And it doesn't even have to drive. I just want it to be parked somewhere down near Indian Creek as like a little home base. Um, and just having like little drop zones like that where you just have – spots that you can go live up to you know potentially year-round they're comfortable enough but they're more than enough comfortable if you just want to go stay for two weeks or a month yeah dude you know like when people are super rich and you know like justin bieber like i don't know i don't know why i said him but all these (laughs) random celebrities right tell me how you really feel chad (laughs) well like they have all this money and because I, I totally know what you're saying, I would do the same exact thing. And if I was rich, that's exactly what I would be doing. But all these yeah. rich people, they always are so fucked up, and they like don't have this direction in their life after they make all this money and blah blah blah. I'm like, dude, get a hobby, bro. Yeah. I mean, get a regular hobby. I'd be putting up tiny houses all over. I fuck. I'd put them in the Midwest. I don't care, man. Yeah. And <laughs> so. <laughs> I don't get it, man. These people need some hobbies. <laughs> well, you know, there's there's more world outside of just that bubble that they're living in. Yeah. Hol- uh, like Hollywood, LA, whatever, you know. Right. It's kind of get sucked into the lifestyle, and it's hard to get that perspective. Right. Yeah, true, true. When you've been in LA for all your life, and that's that's a totally different lifestyle right there man that's yeah. that's the kind of comfort lifestyle if you're making it anyway yeah hmm okay so let me hit you some with some instagram quick cues yeah let's okay go all right so some of these you've actually already answered <laughs> yeah we'll just run so through like, them though okay brad and chloe they asked how'd you buy it cash or financing Totally cash. Yeah. Totally cash. Yeah. hundred percent cash. Um, yeah, it was, like I said, I bought it, built it, got insurance for a year for under five grand. So it was definitely on a budget. Um, but I also didn't want to, I have zero debt in my life. I've never been in debt, which is something I'm quite proud of. Yeah. But if I just wanted to test out the lifestyle, it did not feel like a good enough reason to put myself, you know, 40 grand in the hole. Um, especially cause I didn't know what I'd be doing for work. Um, right. I think the second you go into debt, you need to have that reliable paycheck. And for me, mm-hmm. I went under budget, had really big savings and was able to kind of work when I wanted to. Nice. Nice. Okay. Awesome. So no debt, got it with the cash, old Penelope. NorCal wonder nerd. She was talking about the home address but then how do you get Wi-Fi? You said currently you're using your buddies. Uh, what about any other any other times when you're traveling around? I mean, maybe yeah, you don't so, even need it. Um, I can, for the most part, like, 
uh, if I've got phone service, I can hotspot to my laptop. But truthfully, most anything I need to do that's on the internet is just on my phone. Um, and uh, if I do need Wi-Fi in a pinch or something, like just go park outside of a public library and you can still get on their system from the parking lot, you know? It's an old thru-hiker trick. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, yep. Or freaking go into McDonald's or something like that. Yeah. Anywhere. And yeah. this is just like a fun tidbit because I think people would enjoy this. Um, I don't think most people are aware of poaching breakfast when I say that. Do you know what I mean? Are you trying to like – I think we call it in, in through hiking world like yogi a breakfast. So – is it where you either get someone to pay for your breakfast or you get some of their breakfast when they're already eating breakfast? What it's is even it? better than that. I will oh, let you buy me a meal whenever, but poaching breakfast is when you go to a hotel in town and you're not a guest there. You walk into the lobby, you go straight to the continental breakfast, you sit your ass down, <laughs> you some waffles, you get your eggs, your bacon, whatever you need. I'll walk out with muffins in my pocket, dude. I go do that like once a week. Oh, dude, that's awesome. I love that one. <laughs> that's a cornerstone of being a dirtbag is poaching breakfast. Even better than I imagined. That is that is a great hack right there. If anybody listens to this, that was totally worth it. <laughs> that was totally <laughs> worth the whole episode right there. Okay, uh, SoCal, SoCal Cujo. Well, we asked, went straight from NorCal someone to SoCal someone. Yeah, we got, dude, we got a lot of Californians. <laughs> he asks, or she, I'm not quite sure, stealth parking question mark. Yeah. Where do you, totally what do you do for stealth thing. parking? Um, I'm able to cover up all my windows, and I've only had the police tell me to move like two or three times. Nice. And were they nice about it? What'd they say? Yeah, they were nice about it. They just wanted to make sure I wasn't like fucked up and able to drive. Right, um, OD and yeah, OD in your car <laughs> like this or something. Dude isn't like fucking drunk in the back or something. Like I'm not gonna make him go drive down the hill. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, for the most part, it's it's pretty chill. Uh, I think police or security of any type is one factor, and then also just whoever's out roaming the street. I was at a rest stop which is like a totally fine place to to sleep in your car at and uh like three in the morning no cell phone service bum fuck nowhere and this dude tried all my door knobs and was banging on the door and all that and i'm in my sleeping bag all cuddled up and i'm like what the fuck do i do and uh he yeah. just went away it just i just waited it out and then i was like wired again so i was like guess i'm not sleeping i'm just gonna keep driving wild yeah wild so you can sleep at rest stops for for yeah i guess i didn't know that i don't know why i didn't know that you could really sleep at rest stops but yeah, it's obviously like truckers but they have like a car parking area as well um okay any walmarts are good if, in a pinch if i like roll into a middle of a town you know a lot of times when you're driving cross country like you'll pass through big cities but you're gonna pass through way more just tiny towns so if you're passing through just a really small town and you stop to get gas and you pull around to the back of the building and you sleep for a couple hours and leave in the morning, no one's going to give you any shit. Do um, you ever – so like so Walmarts, rest stops, behind gas stations, where else? Do you ever park on neighborhood streets? 
hundred percent. It was actually really funny. Um, when I left Moab last spring, I, uh, like it was beginning of spring. Um, I was here for more of the winter than I expected. And so I left a little bit early in the spring and I went out to the West coast. I went down to San Diego, LA, and then Yosemite. And when I was in San Diego, I was just sleeping on the street and walking a block up to my buddy's apartment. I would like go up there at like five in the morning, smoke a joint, have a cup of coffee, use the bathroom. We'd go out surfing for like five hours. I'd drop him off. He'd go to work. I'd do my own thing for the rest of the day. But then when I went to LA, it was the kind of funny polarizing thing. I was able to link up with a buddy of mine from Washington who was down visiting and his mom and stepdad lived down there in like multi-million dollar mansion right out on Seal Beach, like super gorgeous mansion, really nice neighborhood. And here's Penelope parked on the street and I'd roll out barefoot at, you know, six in the morning at the crack of dawn, just do my stretch on this residential neighborhood. And, you know, there's Susan walking her dog all groomed up and everything. And I just kind of wave and she'd smile yeah. or, you know, whatever yeah. it would be. And uh, I thought that one was really funny, but uh, also like, kind of a side note you should never drink and drive but if you have a van you should really never drink or drive i've been at like bars parked down on main street you know in different towns and if i you know get a little too have a couple too many drinks or whatever i'll just sleep on the middle of main street like i'm not going to move the van i'm not going to mess with that like Mm -hmm. no need to and if a cough wants to press me, it's like, well, hey, I was out here, had a couple too many drinks. Like, I'm just going to sleep in my van. Like, it seems very reasonable to me, and I'll have a reasonable conversation with anyone about it. Right. Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah. Well, and I know sometimes they – I don't know how that rule works where someone – unless they're passed out in the driver's seat with the keys and the ignition, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But if you're, like, sleeping in your bed in a van – that's a whole different ball game to it's me. It's way different. And it's totally a gray zone where it's like you talk with whoever's trying to give you shit and you're mm-hmm. reasonable and you're respectable. Nine right. Out of 10, you're going to end up okay. Right, right, right. It's kind of like when I got a speeding ticket out in the Eagle Caps this, this year. <laughs> <laughs> or actually, I didn't. I avoided the speeding ticket. I was How you hiking, almost or, got the speeding ticket. <laughs> well, yeah, so... Dude, I was, I was, I mean, middle of nowhere, dude, middle of nowhere. And I just passed this truck because he's going so damn slow. And as soon as I pass this truck, the opposite way, a cruiser passes me like SUV cruiser. And I look in my rear view mirror and he starts slowing down. I just pull over, (laughs) just pulled over. I was just like, oh, I'm done. Yeah. I was just like, and, uh, he comes up and he's, you know, I got my brother and my, other buddy in the back because i was guiding them and stuff and he's like what you doing i'm like i like i honestly was low of gas so i was trying to like coast as fast as i could down this hill to get to the gas station and I, so i kind of told him that i t- i turned the key i showed him that my gas light was on and everything and you know he just ran my stuff and i i never had a f- speeding ticket so he didn't really care i don't think so but he's like dude slow down but then he like told me where the gas station was too he's like it was pretty cool he's a good guy it's the r- rural people like that's where i grew up midwest yeah. wisconsin rural people are just um they're super nice i don't know they're just um i don't know they're more yeah. down to earth sometimes I got pulled over once for speeding in in the van and it was passing through a rural town and it was one of those ones where you're going downhill on a really straight open road and you pass through a town and the speed limit drops yeah. by like 50 right. miles per hour, you know? Right. 
and I was going way too fast, like probably could have gotten arrested for it, you know? Right. And, uh, the cop pulls me over and he's like asking me about my van and about <laughs> and just like super intrigued by like who I am, what I'm doing and all that. And he like runs my stuff. He's like, okay, man, like really slow down, but you know, nice talking with you. And I was like, sick. <laughs> <laughs> and that, you know, and that's the important thing. Cops are people too. Cops are yeah, people too. And there's a lot to, you know, there's a lot of conversation and the dialogue around that. But I will say, for the most part, the small town cops are generally more chill. I think if I had to be a police officer, which I would never wish for mm-hmm. myself, and I was in a big city and I'd deal with the shit that they had to deal with, yep. I wouldn't be the nicest guy either, you know? No. Hardest job in the world, yeah, I think. Yeah, devil's advocate for a second there. Like, it's it's not easy. I don't agree with a lot of stuff that happens, but I'm not saying mm-hmm. it's easy either. Right, right. Oh, yeah. Most challenging job in the world, I think. Many people have asked hygiene. That's all I put in my notes. Many people dot dot hygiene. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, many people wonder that. Uh, baby wipes are your best friend, let me tell mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Um. So like I said, I'll kind of go into more depth about what I do when I'm in Moab right now. But basically, my third day in town ever in Moab, this is a couple falls ago, I met this guy, Austin. Uh, we clicked really well, become best friends over the years and uh, or over the past couple years. And last spring, he was kind of living south of town a little bit and was moving into a new house. And I helped him move in there, met the landlord, met all the neighbors and everything, and Sorry, one sec. My computer is doing something. You still got me on? Yep, got you. Cool. Okay. Got back to the screen. Uh, yeah, so made that acquaintance, uh, acquaintance uh, really good friends or whatever. Got to know the neighbors, got to know the landlord, and kind of figured out it was more or less chill for me to live here. And so I'll throw them some cash every month, kind of depending on what utilities are like. And uh, I just sleep out on the curb a couple nights a week, use the washer, use the kitchen, use the shower. Uh, got a place to you know, wake up in the morning, go use the bathroom and all that. So that's a huge help. Um, and I have that consistently for six months a year. And that is mega. Um, there's a lot of hacks for finding showers. You can, man, the amount of showers I've taken just at, you know, gas station sinks real quick. Like, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, I think the funniest term, I don't know if our house coined this or if it exists elsewhere, but we'd call it hobo sexual. You'd go on to Tinder, you know, and you're like, maybe it's too cold and you try to find a nice woman to lay with for the night because the van is just not going <laughs> to cut it. Or maybe you change your Tinder bio to like, hey, I am just looking for a shower. No. Like whatever works. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So some good. And probably you could probably, well, I always thought like if you had a Planet Fitness membership or something like that, you could always go wherever that would be or something. But that's going to be an expense too. Theory. Um, but unless you're near a big city, it just doesn't work. Like I think mm. the closest planet fitness to me is in Salt Lake City, which is over four yeah. hours away. So it wouldn't make like, sense. It just doesn't make sense at all, you know? Um, I think in the summertime, because I'm always in more mountainous and alpine regions, like just go swim in a lake, just go swim in a river. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, cause you can, you can push that for a week or two and oh, yeah. you're not feeling too dirty. Um, and I don't think it's that hard to like find one stranger who's kind enough a week to let you shower at their house. Like 
the kindness of strangers will astonish you. I got to Yeah, you're totally right. You're totally right. I think, and that's one of the cool things about through hiking. I've seen trail angels and stuff like that. I got to say showering is kind of overrated. I'm just going to say that. I'm just going to say yeah. that. I'm going to go on record and say that I shower. I dude, I have access to a shower all the time. I probably shower every three days. <laughs> Yeah. I have to earn my shower, dude. That's that's what I tell my girlfriend. She kind of doesn't like it, but it's interesting because like I work at a really nice bar. It's like a somewhat bougie nice bar in Moab, and so like I shower before every shift because I gotta look presentable. You know, I do my hair and make sure the beard's trimmed up, but I also make damn good money. So it's like kind of that mm. balance between like maybe I don't want to necessarily shower. Maybe it feels like a chore, but. And if you want to live in that part of society, it's just something you got to do. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. All right. Two more. Sawyer Johnson. Actual price of build slash remodel. So what, what, I guess, what is the, what was the final price of the van plus the remodel you put in? Yeah. So, um, the van was like 3500 bucks, and I think insurance for a year was like 900 or something like that, maybe $1,200. Um, basically, I just bought six months of it because I didn't have a car before this, which is interesting. Like I had a car when I was like 16, 17, 18, and then I moved to downtown Seattle and you know sold the car, just used public transportation, biked everywhere um all that good stuff and so i didn't have a car for like four years and then i bought a van so i had to go through getting insurance interesting again yeah um and so you got the insurance money put away and then this is actually a fun fact my total lumber cost for the van was 35 dollars wow yeah i bought one piece of plywood (laughs) and uh, the rest of it was just scrapped um that summer before i left i picked up an odd job doing construction for a friend of mine who was building he had like subdivided uh his land that his house was on was building a second house and i was out there just digging trenches for him laying water lines just doing just grueling work just brunt you know labor and uh it paid well. It wasn't easy. Um, but you know, I was out there and it was like, Oh, like, can I have that two by four? Can I have that? Can I have that? Can I have that? And it was like scrap pile wood. And so it was no big deal. That's one thing I think you got to be as a, as a dirtbag van van. I was going to say van lifer, but you know what I mean? You need to be resourceful and adaptable. I think like adapt or die, right? Like if you can't roll mm. the punches, if you can't figure out a way to make it work, it's just not going to happen. That's one of the most fun things I think about through hiking, bike packing, all that kind of things is because all these obstacles pop up that you don't really see coming and you have to adapt. Yeah. Otherwise, like you said, you die and you're just, you're going to quit. You're not going to make it. And you're not going to hit your goal, but it's ultra running. Same thing. Yeah. Things pop up every single time, dude, and uh, you gotta gotta be able to adapt. Yeah, I think uh, one of the shows I really liked growing up was like the old school MacGyver, not like the remake or anything, but sure. the old school one. And it was just like, how can I fix this problem with what I've got? And that's kind of the essence of the lifestyle I'm living right now. It's like there's all these challenges, but to me they're puzzles, not problems. It's like how can oh, I figure this out? I love it. I love it, dude. <laughs> 
All right, last question. Shub Plants 4. We already covered one of his, but he asked, what are the van must-haves? Ooh. I think one of the things I wasn't expecting to get a ton of use out of, but my mom bought for me for her own peace of mind, and I end up using all the time, is a Garmin InReach Mini. Interesting. Um, and one of the nicest things about that is the fact that I can just connect to a satellite, get the, the device tethered, mm-hmm. and then I can Bluetooth from my phone to the device and mm-hmm. send text messages from anywhere in the world. Right. Um, and so, like, maybe you're 50 miles on a dirt road and haven't had service in a couple hours and shit hits the fan. Like, you want to be able to send a text to someone. Um, yeah. I got my van stuck out in the middle of nowhere like a year ago and had to text someone a GPS address, like my coordinates and my AAA information to send a a car out to get me. How long did that take? Eight hours. Oh, yeah. But, you know, luckily I had everything I needed with me. I could have slept the night. Yeah, true. I could have hiked out and figured shit out. But um, that's a mega thing. I think I said this earlier, but baby wipes are huge. Yeah. Uh, good books. Like I, yeah. I find myself doing book swaps a lot. So like I'll buy a book and read it and then just meet someone on the road and through conversation, like, oh yeah, what are you reading right now or whatever? And maybe if they just finished a book, we'll just swap books or whatever. But always having a good book on you is nice. Um, a lot of times you'll be parked with just no service and nothing to do. How often do you read? try to read every day same yeah i think it's important yeah you could you can tell you're you're very articulate very articulate person so i could tell i think i think people get that a lot too by a lot of stuff that they read what are you currently reading uh i just finished a book and my buddies who were just visiting from washington actually just bought me a book they bought me desert solitude uh edward abbey so I'm uh, mm. going to get down on that next and write that down. see what it's all about. I'm going to write that one down. I'm actually I'm actually kind of on a war kick right now. I'm reading uh, – I don't know if you ever watched Band of Brothers. It was a miniseries, HBO. Yeah, I'm familiar with it. I never watched it, but I know of it. It's amazing. It's amazing. Anyway, one of the guys there, Dick Winters, Captain Dick Winters, wrote a book about it. And um, super crazy, that generation was – as you say, mega. They were yeah. mega. They were mega. So. <laughs> and it's interesting, right? You can look at that age of people, like that whole generation. And like even if you take it to a different uh, medium instead of war, you look at the climbers. Mm. There were guys, you know, out climbing, you know, pioneering routes. And they were on hemp, non-dynamic ropes tied around their waist. And if you were a lead climber, you cannot fall. That is like a cardinal rule of climbing back then is there was no falling allowed because you fixed the lines for everyone else. If you fell, the team was fucked and you were probably going to die. Fred Becky. <laughs> yeah. All those guys. That's a good, that's a good uh, documentary right there. Something. Oh, yeah, there's, um, there's, I think there's something. two different ones out and um, yeah, like one on Amazon, one on Netflix and they're both. Really yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah. He's an OG. He's an OG. Yeah, he's got a bunch of first ascent routes out here in the desert as well. 
Yeah, same with Washington. I've seen. Yeah, well, I'm pretty sure you grew up in Washington, and so right. um, you know, it starts out with him being like 17 years old, dragging his little brother out with him, and just going and climbing mountains that no one expected possible. Well, I can definitely see why a lot of good climbers come from Washington. A lot of access in the North Cascades. The playground is incredible. Yeah, yeah. Well, dude, I appreciate it, man. Oh, dude, Thanks for, for coming sure. on again. Yeah, it's always <laughs> good to be on and chat with you. It's uh, just fun conversating. Yes. Well, where can people catch up with you at and all your your little travelies? Yeah, um, no in blogs the or anything like that. Uh, but you can find me on Instagram at Bailey Kushegji, and I'm sure you can type that out for them. I will put that stuff. in the show notes and <laughs> as a t- and as like a text on the YouTube video too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, sweet dude. All right. Well, we will catch up another time. I'm sure we'll probably have you on again. Talk about your experiences. Um, with all the adventures you got coming up too. Yeah, it should be a good summer. Lots coming. Sweet. All right.